People love animals and you put people together with animals, great things happen. We find a commonality, we tear down all kinds of prejudices and we realize that there's there's this great uniter and it's the compassion for animals, it's the love that they give and volunteering is the opportunity to bring that all together and help people while helping these animals. Welcome to Miles for Change. I'm your host, Jen DeSalvo, coaching you through warm and cuddly stories. In this episode, we're going for a run with Paw Chicago. When people who are only slightly familiar with Paw Chicago hear that name, they oftentimes think of an animal shelter, a place to go and adopt homeless pets. If you're one of those people, no worries, because we're going to tell you about all of the things that they do. They are, in fact, a shelter, the largest no-kill animal shelter in the Midwest, but it's not just that. In the past 25 years since PAWS has been around, the organization has grown into an empire of humane education and pet health care. There's clinics, programs, and thousands of people coming together who have worked over the past couple of decades to really transform Chicago's homeless dog and cat population. So get ready, get set, let's go. These miles for change are for PAWS Chicago. For people who don't know Red, Red was um, owned by a gentleman whose home was invaded by uh, burglars. And Red uh, attempted to protect the owner. And as a result, I believe he took a couple of shots into his spine, which paralyzed him from the lower region, you would call the waist down. So Red was in a wheelchair, but it never stopped him. Boy, Red, Red, would, Red would roll around the neighborhood. He would roll over your toes. He would roll through the grass. And when you took him out into the community, everybody knew Red and people would come out and they're like, hey, Red, how you doing, Red? And kids would, you know, run up and want to play and, and he would wag to the point where the wheels would wobble back and forth because he was so excited. This is Mark Lucas. He's been a volunteer with Paw Chicago since 2007. Now, you'll hear from a few people in this episode who have been around since that date. It's a big deal. That's when the swanky Lincoln Park Adoption Center opened its doors. It's also when I, myself, got involved. Now, Mark is a level three volunteer with the dogs, which means he is able to care for the most special cases. And those include dogs with special needs, like Red, the spunky paralyzed pit bull who rolled around on two wheels and two paws. One of my favorite Red stories, two fellow volunteers of mine, Andy and Sue, we kind of stole Red for an afternoon. We did our morning shift, and then we took Red in his wheelchair, packed him up in the back of an SUV, and we went to Little Sisters of the Poor, which is a a senior living facility for underprivileged people, not too far away from PAWS. And we had spoken to them before about bringing a guest, and they were all for it. And we explained Red's situation, and they were like, well, okay, you know, bring him in. Let's see how it goes. So we show up, and Red comes rolling in on his wheelchair, and a few people came out. And they were like, oh, look at the dog, look at the dog. And then this buzz started getting created that there was a dog in the lobby. And people started coming out, and a lot of them were in wheelchairs. And the first thing you heard, he's just like me. And these faces were just lighting up. And Red was having the time of his life because he loved being the center of attention, surrounded by all these people. And I have this picture that I took of one of the nuns that works there. She was in a walker, probably in her late 80s, 
And Red is right next to her and she's holding his leash because she wanted to walk him around the building. And it's the most adorable picture because, you know, a lot of people have this misconception about the breed. And here's this animal who has been through the worst of it. He took a bullet for his owner. His owner could no longer care for him. He wound up at the adoption center, got the best treatment in the world. And he's living the dream. And he's got this, you know, older woman walking him with her little walker. It's so sweet. And he was just such an ambassador. That dog, constantly positive. I, I never saw that dog have a down day. And then in 2007, the adoption center was built and I visited for the first time and I just was blown away by the uh, the thought that went into the, the, the adoption center. If people have never been there, it's so welcoming. You walked in and it was this big welcoming center with a fireplace and sofas and everybody was smiles and all of the animals are in suites, these great big rooms where they're allowed to roam. They walk up to the windows, they, you know, they wag their tails. You could connect with them. You could meet all of them. And there were so many volunteers there that were happy to introduce you. And I just thought, okay, this is what I need to be doing now. And that day he signed up to volunteer. Mark is a morning person, so he chose to work the early shift. He got the dogs out to exercise, helped the staff do some cleaning, and even got to work on training with the dogs. Even if you weren't introducing the animals to people, spent a lot of time training them, and that's one of the things that I really love doing with PAWS. They're great about giving volunteers the tools and the training to work with animals. And so where it kind of evolved for me was uh, working with the long-term guests at PAWS. I found there were a lot of animals there, not a lot, but there were always a handful of animals that were there three, four, five months. And at that point, it's very easy for them to begin to deteriorate. So what I realized was that if you could be that person for that animal while they were there, to be their best friend, to be their go-to, their constant, it really helped keeping that animal spirit up. Long-term guests. That's my term. I don't know if, <laughs> if it's legal, but... I remember I was there, you know, just playing with the dogs and taking them out for walks and stuff. It was December of 20... Well, November into December of 2010. And uh, my boyfriend at the time had been looking to get a dog, but he had allergies and, you know, he narrowed it down to a couple of different breeds and Cocker Spaniel was one. And there was this little Cocker Spaniel they called Bambino. He was just so sad. He slept there. He came in on June 11th, 2010. And this was November or December. He just needed somebody. And I told my boyfriend about Bambino and for a week, you know, I didn't realize he was going in almost every day to check out this dog. And on Friday, he leaves work, he goes to Paws, and Bambino was adopted. Well, Bambino, yeah, had back surgery, and he couldn't really walk. So he had to be carried up and downstairs, and the woman who adopted him wasn't able to do that. So, you know, my boyfriend, he was crushed. Next day, he gets a phone call from Paws in the morning. Bambino came back. Would you like him? And he calls me. He's all excited. He goes and he gets Bambino, adopts him that day, teaches this dog how to walk. He only lived for another four more years because he was a little bit older, but he had the best four years because 
Don taught him how to walk. He was able to do up to like six flights of stairs by the end. Don is now my husband. <laughs> Bambino and I lived together for a while. So um, yeah, the whole long-term guest thing. He was our little buddy. Miss him so much. But that's what it's all about. I always try to, to talk to people about they think that the animals that are there are castaways or are damaged goods, and they're not. They may have some issues that need to be worked through, but just like you were talking about Bambino, who you know needed to have somebody to reteach him how to walk after surgery, but you gave him the best four years of his life, and obviously he's given you way more than four years worth of memories. What are some other things that you've done when it comes to community outreach? Because there's so many different arms of PAWS when it comes to education and advocacy and helping the pets, you know, working at the adoption center and, and taking care of the dogs. I will do whatever they want me to do. <laughs> you know, some of the things I have worked at the uh, the medical center, admittedly, usually when one of the animals that I'm partnered with winds up having to be there for a little while. Some other things that I've done would be a number of the rescue missions that we go on out of state. I was at, uh, went out to Houston after the hurricane and then uh, did some work in Kentucky. My biggest thing is, like I said, just working with the long-term guests, trying to find some of these guys a connection, trying to figure out what works with people. It's, sometimes it's very hard to get people to connect with an animal. One of the dogs that I worked with for a year, uh, Maddie, she's a beautiful pit bull, a large, black, very tall, um, muscular dog. And because being very dark in color, the features of the face are hard to distinguish. And she was very muscular. And part of the routine that I, I was doing with her was taking her out into long walks from the adoption center to the area around Lincoln Park Zoo. I wanted to get the animals into different areas and different sites and different sounds and get them acclimated to traffic, but also give them a break away from the shelter. And I had noticed that as we did these walks, people would go to the other side of the street or step to the side. And this dog, was she was so friendly. She loved people and would kiss, hug, tail a wagon, one of the sweetest uh, girls. But because of her general appearance, People were judging her, stepping aside, make room, big dog. And it was always so frustrating. Mark and Maddie worked together on her behaviors. They did training classes twice per week. She could sit, stay, even 20 feet away. And she balanced on a ball, plus did agility. Everything that you could imagine. And I'm putting all this out there on social media. And people are always like, oh, what a brilliant dog. What a wonderful dog. Nobody was interested. And doing these walks, I realized that um, also a lot of people were like, oh, he's cute. And I'm like, oh, she's a girl. She's sweet. Needed to tear down the barrier that was in the way of people meeting her. So one day, Mark and Maddie went across the street from Paws to Petco. Now they had a section with stuff to throw a birthday party for a dog. And one of the things was a tutu, this multicolored, like a circus tent kind of tutu. And I was like, huh. Maybe. So I bought the tutu. I put it around Maddie's waist and, and she loved it. And she was just, you know, prancing around like, oh, look at me. I've got a dress. But it took away a little bit of that edge. And we started wearing that tutu. Well, she started wearing that tutu, I should say. <laughs> Every day when we would go out on these walks and suddenly 
people weren't stepping aside. People were stepping into our way, saying, can I say hello? People started taking pictures. They started posting on social media. The businesses Mark and Maddie walked by in Lincoln Park, well, they wanted pictures with Maddie. And Mark got to tell people all of the time that Maddie was available for adoption. And within a matter of weeks of starting this, people were coming in and people wanted to meet Maddie. And one of the things that I didn't realize was there was a young lady named Emma who had gone in and met Maddie and fell in love with her. But Emma was still in school. She was attending college and she wanted Maddie, but she knew I don't have the time. I don't have the ability to have this animal while I'm on campus. And so lo and behold, she graduates and she sees Maddie on this dog spotting page on Facebook and realizes that Maddie is still available for adoption. She races in, was so happy to be able to adopt the friend that she had fell in love with. And her and Maddie are inseparable. Mark alone isn't able to provide enrichment opportunities for all of the pets that go through PAWS. The organization offers training, like puppy socialization playgroups and obedience classes, and something that is truly needed, a pet loss support group, right? Did you just think, man, I wish I had that? I did too at one point. Anyway, there are so many more parts to PAWS. The community outreach arm offers community medicine, a pet health hotline, a world-class medical center, and a food pantry. There's nothing more humbling than being in the service of um, innocent, helpless animals, you know, cats and dogs and kittens and puppies, because they don't know who you are. They don't know what your title is. They are just pure love. My name is Susanna Homan, and I'm the CEO of Paws Chicago. As a lifelong Chicagoan, Susanna has a deep background and understanding of not just what the homeless pet population once was in the city. They were seen as troubled, abused, maybe a little undesirable to a lot of people. She remembers when Paws started doing work. So uh, I remember when Paws came on my radar probably around 15 years ago and just being in awe of Paula Phaseus and realizing that this one woman machine was changing a perception that people ha had held for decades about shelter pets. And she was doing it in really unusual ways. It's an amazing story how Paws was started and it just kind of goes to show how sometimes things are in the air. Um, and what happened was they went to Greece on a trip and Paula's father had recently passed and a stray dog on the island of Crete kept coming up to them. And something about the expression on his face and the way he kind of winked at them made them laugh and reminded them of her father. And they brought this, this homeless dog back from Greece. Right around that time, Alexis, who was a teenager, a high school student, volunteered at another shelter. And she saw that animals were being killed by the dozens daily. And she saw a cat sneeze and someone say, mark that one for euthanasia, because they were so afraid that a, an animal might be contagious, even if it wasn't anything. And maybe they, were, they just had too many animals. It's one of the reasons we have so many isolation suites, because we are able, even if there is something contagious, we're able to treat the animal. But in a lot of shelters, that wasn't the case. And she was devastated. She came home crying to Paula and said, animals are dying and this just doesn't seem right. They, they're not sick. They're healthy. They're beautiful. And 
Paula had just rescued this animal from Crete. That sequence of events led Paula to her own awakening. She and her daughter Alexis thought about it and wondered, what can we do? So they got some friends together and decided to pull some animals from the shelter. The idea back then was that people didn't think shelter animals were desirable. And so Paula and her daughter Alexis, who founded PAWS, went to animal care and control, took out dozens of animals, zhuzhed them up, put little you know, handkerchiefs on them, um, and, and put them in luxury retailers. And places like, at the time, Escada and Neiman Marcus and all the high-end boutiques and stores so that people would see the animals in a new light and realize all animals are the same. It doesn't matter where you get them. That's how Paw Chicago's staple event, Angels with Tails, was born. And in fact, they celebrated the 25th year of the event in the spring of 2022. But pulling animals from the shelter to get them adopted wasn't enough because it still wasn't getting to the root of the problem. So they started the Lurie Clinic, which does spay and neuter surgeries to take on the real issue of what causes the overpopulation to begin with. The interesting thing is that people think about adoption and they think that that's how you solve the homeless pet problem and that's how you keep animals from being killed. But when PAWS was started 25 years ago, more than 42,000 animals were killed in Chicago that year. And if you think about, you know, in a typical year, PAWS adopts out about 5,000 pets. There are just not enough adopters for the number of homeless pets that existed back then. And so really the solution is spay and neuter. That's one of the reasons I think PAWS is such a great success story too, because it really is about people coming together to solve a major civic problem. And as soon as people became aware animals are dying by the tens of thousands, helpless, perfect, sweet, innocent animals that depend on us are dying. And the community really stepped up and it, it didn't um, it didn't happen overnight, you know, that because the, these problems were so large scale that when PAWS began 25 years ago, it was about chipping away at the problem year after year after year. And it's really incredible to have the euthanasia rate down by over 90%. And we need to keep it there. And we do that with the help of the community. They found that a lot of people in under-resourced neighborhoods don't really set out to get pets. But when they see a stray, they take it in. But then they have nowhere to take that animal. There's no vet, there's no groomer. Um, they struggle to find good food options and affordable food options for the animal. And so that's where we come in and we offer that support for pets in those communities. And that support? Paw Chicago created a pet food pantry. In 2021, they distributed about 25,000 pounds of food for cats and dogs. People in the community are always dropping off donations of food, toys, leashes. So at the location in Inglewood, pet owners are able to get what they need for their four-legged family members. And that includes healthcare. So this is, you know, a podcast that has to do with running. I'm a runner. And I'm a running coach. So when I go out and I see somebody running, I'm like, yeah, woohoo, great job, you're running. And then I might also be like, oh my gosh, thinking I know how to fix their form so they're not hurting themselves. When you see animals, are you like, yeah, dog, you're awesome, I love you. Oh gosh, but I really need to fix something. <laughs> it's so funny you say that. I was walking yesterday to the grocery store and I saw a dog with a limp and I was like, oh my God, I just can't just enjoy a cute dog. Like every time I see one now, I am 
forced to look at what might be wrong medically with them. So it's maybe a gift and a curse. My name is Dr. Nick Johanna. I am a community outreach veterinarian at PAWS Chicago. Why did you decide to get into this line of work? Honestly, I have wanted to do this since I was a little kid, and I've always loved animals. But as I developed as a person, the reason I chose to pursue this is I actually love people, and every animal comes with a person, and it was a way for me to work with animals and people. I work in our community outreach division, and what we do is try to serve communities that are underserved. In particular, the south side of Chicago is what I would call a veterinary desert. So there is a lack of veterinary hospitals, a lack of pet stores, dog trainers, groomers. So our goal is to provide access to that, but in addition to it, share information because the people in the community are like any people around the country. They love their animals, their animals are part of the family, but they're underserved and they unfortunately can't get a lot of information. So that's a huge part of our job is sharing that and helping people take care of their pets in the way that they'd like to. The fact that you mentioned it's a veterinary desert, I remember meeting a journalist several years ago. I mean, and when I say several, like maybe four years ago only, who worked out of Englewood, and she said there's not even a dentist in the neighborhood. So if people aren't getting care for their teeth, it makes a lot of sense that they're not able to get care for their animals either. It's important because the community we're working with, like I said, they're still pet lovers and they have passion for animals. And just like anyone in the world, we empathize with animals and we want to care for them. It's those bleeding heart individuals. And it's important now because we can provide health care for animals and therefore provide health care for humans because they don't have to worry about where that money is coming from because we do it for free and they can focus on themselves and their families. Because of what Dr. Nick just shared, this is why the community medicine arm of PAWS is vital. PAWS opened up an outreach clinic in Englewood just shy of a decade ago, and since 2014, they have provided free services for greater than 17,000 pets in low-income neighborhoods surrounding that location on Chicago's South Side. So my philosophy is anyone who brings their pet to me has passion, has empathy, has sympathy, and we have to do something about it. Before we started working in Englewood, the statistic was about 75% of those pets had never been to a vet. And... This is how we're able to provide care, is we're there providing free services through our Paws for Life, and that includes illness and injury. So if a pet is sick, we can see them help to some the most we can and encourage people to either continue to work with us or seeking help elsewhere at a cost-conscious clinic that we partner with. And on any given Friday, Dr. Nick helps anywhere between 20 to 30 pets. Now, those can also be litters of baby kittens or puppies, he tells me, which may come as a surprise to some pet owners. So that's why another piece is helping the public to understand the importance of spay and neuter for their pet. But the biggest part is the community engagement, being in front of people. And that's the part that Dr. Nick told us that he really loves. Once we enter a community, we stay there. And that's how this is sustained. And it's generational. We are working with parents who bring their kids. And what we have at Englewood Outreach Clinic too is actually an apprenticeship program for 
young people to come and learn from a vet and learn about veterinary medicine, to talk to people and how to care for pets, working with individuals at our Inglewood Outreach Clinic. That is like my happy place to talk to people. Basically, I've loved animals my whole life and can talk about them for 24 hours a day. And now I actually have people who want to hear and listen. And at the end of every Friday, it's a long day. It's like a 12 hour day, but it feels so good. And to meet people and you know have conversations, that's the best part of, of what we do here and what I do. We just learned about the nearly countless parts of Paw Chicago and also that it's 100% community funded. I mean, everybody loves dogs and cats. We get it. But one part of how the entire operation is sustainable is because of the regular folk who are going out and running, well, miles for change. When we first started Team Paws 17 years ago, it started with 13 runners just for the Chicago Marathon. And since then, we now have entries into Chicago, London, Berlin, and New York, as well as Athletes' Choice that Stephanie does. So in an average year, we'll have anywhere from 500 to 550 runners. And with Chicago Marathon's our largest team, my name is Carrie Sahasky, and I am the Assistant Director of Events and Community Engagement with PAW Chicago. So we currently have 460 runners for Chicago. We're the fifth largest charity team in the marathon out of the 170. We're the largest local team, so everyone who's above us and below us in that top 10 are all national organizations and obviously the largest animal welfare team. So there is a lot of us. In any given year on average, we raise about $800,000 a year with our Team Paws program. So it's the second largest out of all of our fundraising events. And we did back in, this was 2019, that was our banner year. We did hit the million dollar mark. It's a giant team and those stats are super impressive. Runners range anywhere from first timer marathon runners. I'm Carla Caria and I run for puppies. To seasoned veterans. I am Stephanie Dewald and I am running for all of the animals that cannot speak for themselves. Stephanie has been running to raise funds with Team Paw since 2010, but she's volunteered since the same time Mark and I started back in 2007. She comes from a fiercely athletic family. She played Division I tennis. I grew up literally with a dad who played basketball against Phil Jackson at one point way back when. At the time I talked to her, she had 95 marathons under her belt, and she moves pretty quickly with these. She's knocking them out left and right. But she says that she got into running as an adult. And it was actually shortly after my father passed away that I decided I was going to run a marathon. I needed something to just kind of distract me. So she went to the Chicago Area Runners Association training program, which today is a Paw Chicago partner. She met people who became her best friends there, and then she got hooked. And got into the marathon after marathon after marathon. And so I would say what motivates me now is that I'm just a very bizarrely structured, disciplined person that I need, that I jokingly say I'm like a pit bull, I need to be run. Uh, I need my exercise, so it, it's my outlet to my stressful day job and everything else. I mean, I truly, absolutely love it. Okay, so you were an athlete, and you said something right there that I feel like would resonate with a lot of people who have become marathon runners, and I'm a disciplined person. Now, were you able to say that, though, before because of your Division One tennis career and all that? Yes. Correct. My whole life, my friends joke about it. I always say it's not a matter of if I'm going to work out today, it's a matter of when. I, I won't tell you this, but I've really <laughs> ever stretched a day in my life. Right? No. <laughs> and so, Well, I just went through a big injury. And so I was like sidelined for three months. I fell off a bouldering wall. You know, it's just deviating oh. from something and doing something stupid. Oh. 
And then, yeah, all of the doctors and PTs and massage therapists are like, you need to stretch. And I'm like, the reason why I live where I live is so I can put on my shoes and go outside and run. Like, <laughs> there is no stretching before or after. <laughs> uh, you know, I should actually put a plug in for, I not, not a specific person. I do have a massage girl that comes to my house. Um, I see her every other week and I have for 10 years. And she works on, you know, she's been trained and works on a lot of the, the Chicago fairs, whatnot. So it's not really just a massage. It's more, it's cupping, it's scraping. It's, I would be injured all the time if I did not have someone that took care, of, took care of my body for me. I think that's a big part of it too, that people don't necessarily realize. And, and when you're doing like your first or second marathon, that's not something that you really invest time or thought into even, but like the scraping, have you had dry needling? Oh, yes. Yes. In my calf when I had an injury, I said, it's a godsend. <laughs> yes. So this is all, you know, a lot extra. You, it's more than just buying a pair of running shoes and going out there sometimes, but that's definitely the way to start it. <laughs> True. Although the running shoes are also an addiction. I don't know about you, but I feel like every other week I'm trying to buy another pair, not because I necessarily need them, but hey, it's a new color, which he, is kind of insane. <laughs> well, so because I do a lot of different terrains and different type, um, people always ask, well, what do you run in? I'm like, well, I currently have like nine different types of running shoes in the rotation right now. So That makes sense. You definitely need different running shoes on trails. Yeah. And in Chicago, because one day we'll have ice. The next day we'll have 80 degree weather. What are some oh. crazy things? Like, have you had sure. to think outside the box when it comes to creative ways to fundraise? It's always a new year and new challenge. And how much money can I bring in? And what crazy thing can I do to, to continue to ask my donors? that I've had for the last 11 years. When I first started running, of course, it was first marathon. Oh, wow, this is amazing. You know, I posted a lot on Facebook. I reached out to my family, my friends, my colleagues. And it was really just, hey, I literally never run three miles up until three years before I decided to run my first marathon. So it was easy. But then, of course, the next year, it's like, oh, you're running another marathon. Okay, that's cool. But as the years go by, when they were like, oh, you've run 30 marathons, we no longer are really thinking it's a big deal. So she had to go bigger. This year, that challenge is to reach her 100th marathon by the end of the year. She's going to do it. So I started doing things like, all right, let's run three marathons in three days around Lake Tahoe. That was my actually probably my very first year that brought in over $8,000 that one year. That was my biggest one. Then the next year was let's do a half Ironman. The next year was let's do a full Ironman. Let's do three of them in four months instead of one. So it was you know, constantly trying to think of some new challenge that my donors would say, wow, okay, we're going to give her more money because she's doing something even bigger. When Stephanie sat down to talk to me, she had her cat Jaden with her, a rescue from Paws. And she told me how her life changed when she first visited Paws Chicago. I got there and realized that it was my literally life's mission, life's passion to do this, specifically rescue animals, but not just cats. I got into the whole world of knowing more about pit bulls and understanding that they're a very misunderstood breed and my love for them and dog fighting rings and non-licensed breeders and puppy mills. And I've just kind of gone down the rabbit hole of it is truly what I want to do with the rest of my life until I take my last breath. Um, So it means everything to me to to run for these animals um, as well as to help educate just along the way. And being with my fellow Team Paws members, they feel the exact same way I do. So the bond is just truly, we have immediate connection with our love for not just animals, but specifically homeless animals uh, or those that cannot find a home solely because they just don't have one. There's really no other reason. (laughs) First time marathoner Carla, also a pet mom, 
Now, she fostered for a long time. Great way to help and make some space for shelters to help more dogs. But with this particular dog, Carla was what we call a foster fail. (laughs) Her name is Sophie, and I spent years fostering, not finding the right dog for me at the right time. But with her, it was the right dog at the right time. She runs with me sometimes. She's got so much energy. She's great. She's great around other dogs. She's great around kids. She's great around everyone. She just is obsessed with everyone as soon as she meets them. And she just completely fits in with my life and my lifestyle. And yeah, I couldn't have asked for a better dog to come into my life. I did not get her through Paws. I got her through a different amazing organization. But to me, shelters that work with animals, just do such amazing work. And this was an opportunity for me to work with an organization that I have run for, an organization that I have loved and appreciated. Anyone in Chicago knows PAWS. That name is synonymous with just like doing good work for animals. Carla is no stranger to running. She's been doing it for her health, mental and physical for over a decade now. It's now changed and transitioned into a challenge. I think as a runner, you start doing it because for whatever reason you get a pamphlet in the mail right or you start for just because you want to be physically active but if you fall in love with it it just stops being enough to do you know a recovery run or you know an easy run as my nike app calls it you know an easy run it stops being enough and you kind of just want to challenge yourself. And I'm a person who I love to set goals. I call my training my homework. I love homework. So you just kind of want more. And it kind of goes back to what I said about just wanting to be a little bit better than yourself. Running for me is a sport that has so many people that you can connect with. A community that's so amazing. And when you find out someone else is a runner, you connect with them. But it's definitely just about challenging yourself or at least for me it is and the next challenge for me was the marathon you know I did a 5k and that was so much fun and I did a 10k and I did um, an eight miler and then the half marathon and it just became like can I do it I think I can do it and then I, I you know you go on longer and longer runs and it stops being hard and you're like I think I can keep going and I'm only stopping because I have other stuff to do today but I can keep going this podcast is good this music is bopping My legs aren't tired. I'm not breathing heavy. I'm having a good time. And it's like, okay, so like, let's see what that looks like, but with putting actual training behind it, you know? Let's see what that looks like when you actually try really hard and challenge yourself and try to become faster. And so that's kind of why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because it was the next thing to do. And I just kind of want to see if I can do it. And I know I can. I know I can finish because I'll crawl across the finish line if I need to. But it's like, can I set a goal and beat it? That's kind of where I'm at now. How has running changed your life? It's hard to answer that question because I wake up every day and I think, how am I going to fit my run in today? It's hard to answer that question because it's such a big part of my life. It's like, it, it makes me happy. It's not a replacement for therapy, which is important, but it is a form of therapy. It's a form of thinking through your day It's a form of wellness. It's a form of meditation and time alone or time with other people. But for me, most of my runs are alone. It's time just to really think through my problems. And at the same time, you know, I'm multitasking because I'm bettering my health, which is a great bonus. But at this point, it's less about the health part. And it's more about me having time to think through everything. I run usually at the beginning of my day. I usually wake up really early and I run. That's 
not all days, but some days. And I really like that because it sets my day up in a way where I thought through my whole day at that point after my run, I feel accomplished. You know, I go into work feeling like I've accomplished a thing, even though my day is starting at eight in the morning. So how has it changed my life? I don't really know how to answer that other than I would be fully lost if I couldn't do it. Fully lost. You could be the fastest runner in the world or you could just be someone who's starting out. But if you love it, it's not a chore. It's just like a thing you look forward to. We're just so grateful because running a marathon is hard but fundraising is also hard on top of that. So there's difficulties and we are so appreciative of every donation, whether that's $5 or 500. A lot of our fundraisers for marathons are going out to friends and family that one-on-one ask that peer-to-peer fundraising, which is also hard. So we're just so appreciative because these are our best cheerleaders. They're out there telling people in the community all of the wonderful work that we do. Advocates like Stephanie in every sense of the word that If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be the grassroots movement that we truly are. We couldn't do what we would be doing without our volunteers. And I think the proof is in the pudding. This is a testament to just show the power of a community coming together and doing their part to make a difference. So there's just so much passion behind it. And the more we get our name out, the more we're able to grow our programs. That's as simple as it is because the more people volunteer, foster, adopt, donate, we are so dependent on the community. We are 100% funded by donations. So having that visible of a group of runners who are so passionately advocating for us with all of their friends and family is essential. It, It really helps us do what we do. And it's because of programs like Team Pause that helps raise the money so that we can continue this important life-saving work. And I think it also just shows the power of one or two people stepping up and saying, yeah, I want to do something about this. And then it can grow into this huge movement. One last thing before we go. During the pandemic, we were hearing things in media like shelters were going empty since everyone was adopting or fostering. You know, people were working from home. But then when things began to open up again and everybody started going back to the office, there were also follow-up reports scattered that those adopted pets, that they were coming back to the shelter. And the assumption is that people who adopted animals while they were working from home are now getting rid of them. And that's not what we've observed. Um, We've seen that there has just been a lot of um, people going through some sort of, you know, whether it's job loss, uh, financial instability, homelessness, health crisis. We're seeing a lot of crisis situations where people are giving up animals. And that has been amplified by the pandemic because the pandemic threw a lot of people into crisis. And so what we are seeing is people giving up animals at high rates uh, because they are struggling. And also, if you think about the loss of life through the pandemic and the loss of health, you know, where are those animals going whose owners may have passed or, you know, there's just been a lot of trauma on people. And of course, it ripples into the the people's pets. They're such a gift to us. And I think, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that went through uh, the pandemic, people talked about how much adoptions and fostering were up. And it was fabulous. But I think the untold story was that uh, for so many of us, who were locked down, animals were our best friend. They were our confidant. They were, in many cases, our, our therapists. 
I know, you know, in our home, we would have been lost without it because they were that interaction. They were that source of positivity. They were a reminder that you know, everything's going to be all right. In fact, this is pretty good. You're home all day. You're working from home. I love this. They're such a wonderful gift. And they're a reminder that, you know, every day is an opportunity to really live your best life. It's up to you. And animals do that. That's it for this episode of Miles for Change. Find one of the many ways that you can help Paws get to a 100% no-kill Chicago by visiting pawschicago.org. There are so many thank yous to go out for today's episode. From Paw Chicago, Susanna Homan, Sarah McDonald, Dr. Nick Johanna, and Carrie Chihoski. Best friend to all dogs, Mark Lucas. Runners, Steph DeWald, who is getting so close to her 100th marathon. And Carla Carriott, wishing her the best on her first. Producers Tony Lasano, thank you, Conrad. Original music by Nate Mills. And I'm your host, Jen DeSalvo. See you next time.